SEO is dead. I said it. I said it. SEO is dead. Google just announced a huge change to the search experience that now puts organic search results like six feet deep. Like it is so hard to find them beyond the paid stuff and the AI generated stuff. So how are people going to find your little firm? Why did I just spend all that money on SEO blog posts the last few years? Listen, stuff's changing. Life's hard. Get a helmet. We're going to talk about the stuff that's trending up right now, the ways to discover your firm that are trending up and the ways to discover your firm that are trending down. Also, a few other odds and ends. End of an era. And what would it be without another day with a wild AI release? A new model that will now recall a shocking amount of information. Humongous improvement in context limits. We're going to talk about it today. Hey, happy Monday. Buckle up. It's Jason Daly. Last year, in December, I said that SEO was dead. I was drinking the ChatGPT Kool-Aid so hard that I had stopped using Google. I was just chucking prompts into ChatGPT and it was answering my questions. And I was like, what do I need Google for anymore? And very quickly started thinking, well, shoot, if the way that people discover new things and new businesses is through Google search... What does the future of business discovery look like? Ultimately, is uh, so like the, the change, I guess, is that we're now going to language models just to get answers rather than traditional search where there's a giant feed of stuff. And I said this, and a bunch of people got mad, and it's more nuanced than that. Um, there is, it does kind of depend on the intent of the searcher. Are they looking for uh, an answer? Or are they looking for options, sources? Are you looking for a restaurant, right? Are you looking for somebody to prepare your taxes? Um, There's some nuance there, but I think it's safe to say at this point, 75% of search, traditional search, is probably going away. And this has been validated by an announcement Google just made at their annual I.O. conference that the new search experience is a generative AI answer smack at the top of that search. And uh, I'll pull it up for the YouTube viewers. Google search results, and it's not just a Google thing, it's it's been getting worse for a long time. Uh, Now you see people posting things like, I do a Google search on like a valuable keyword and there's like four or five paid options at the top, like promoted AdWords AdSense whatever you call AdWords, options at the top of the Google search before you actually get to the organic results. So it's like, it was already like, why am I investing in SEO if somebody can just buy something that will put them ahead of me, especially in the context of competitors where you see a lot of people buying ads. If you go to search for app A and app B does something very similar, app B is buying ads to be above them. Even take them to a specific page that's like, here's why our app is better than the app that you actually searched for. So like organic search has already kind of been degrading, getting worse. But organic search just got a whole lot less worse. More worse? Got a whole lot worser. Because the new Google like search experience, and I got a screenshot up here. Man, like everything above the fold is now this generative result. 
And the screen, it's interesting. The screenshot that they take here that they show in kind of the announcement article is square. And the top two thirds of the screen is that generative answer with a couple of search results, like one and a half search results are viewable under that. But the reality is the screens that we use, like your desktop screen, it is not square. And so now when you do a Google search under the new search experience, which is in beta, that fold, like that whole thing is taken up by the generative AI result. Then when you scroll down, what do you get after that? You get paid results. And then after that, you get the actual organic results. So I am dramatizing things to be, uh, to say SEO is dead, but it did just get a whole lot worse. Now, one wrinkle to this is Google is citing sources for that stuff that it puts inside of the generative suggestion, kind of like what Bing does. So the counter argument here is like, oh, well, no, like now my goal is just to show up in the generative thing that Google creates. Like that's the goal now. But that's a much different challenge than doing SEO optimized for keywords. And many of the AI models that people use now, they don't cite anything. So ChatGPT being the biggest example. Google, with making this change to search, is kind of admitting that like, yeah, no, this actually is the future. And if you watched any of that Google I.O. conference last week, you realize just how far behind Google now is. And so in the new paradigm of generative answers to your questions, I don't know that Google is the one that's going to win out here. So all of this taking into account, there's more ambiguity than ever around the value of traditional SEO. And it's worth acknowledging that why I think a lot of us bristle at this notion that quote unquote SEO is dead, which is a dramatic way of saying it. A lot of the reason why we bristle about it is because we've invested in it, is because we've pumped years into it. And it is human nature. The more we invest in something, the more uh, the more we're just going to be super opinionated about it. That's just how everything works. But I think it's interesting to kind of step back and take stock of what's, like what ways for people to find your firm or what methods for discovery are trending up and which are trending down. I got a whole list here. So let's just cruise through with everything that's changing. If you were to decide what am I going to work on tomorrow? What now makes sense? Because I do think it's very different than what made sense 12 months ago. So trending up, I think actually, arguably the biggest winner besides, you know, language models and this sort of new discovery process, which just shockingly displaced huge things like Google search overnight, not in full, but in part. I think the biggest secondary winner will actually be social media platforms as a way to discover new stuff. If you're in DTC, e-commerce, selling products, like you know the outrageous power of TikTok and people finding products on TikTok and like that's just where people are discovering things these days. I think a lot of that is going to extend into the sort of stuff that we do. Not, here's my shingle, I do taxes, uh, welcome, but here's a problem that you have and something that I built to solve it. And like, that's how I just hooked that person. And they're now following me. They're now kind of paying attention to what I'm doing. There's a number of things um, that are happening that I think make 
are, are driving people to search for a solution provider less and less. One of those is kind of the globalization of what we do. It used to be that people would look for someone local to solve that problem. And there's still going to be a ton of people that will. And like in terms of a specialization, specializing in like being the winner in that local geography, like that's still a specialization that's totally valid. But less and less people are like putting stock in that. Like if I were to go out tomorrow and find an accountant, my mental model would be what's the likelihood that the best one for me is within 20 miles of me? Like pretty unlikely, right? Like not unlike how hiring has changed now and we've kind of widened the net for where we will hire people from because there's just a massively bigger talent pool when you look beyond your 20 mile radius. That's how I approach doing things that, you know, it's not work on my house or it's not something that has to, has to be like location specific. So I think less and less people are going to search engines to find that stuff these days anyways. And more people are going to social media these days. Like people spend their free time scrolling algorithms. That's just how it is. Uh, I heard the or kind of the thought the other day that right now, if you're waiting in line for coffee or you're waiting in line for the bathroom, it's almost weird if you are not on your phone scrolling something, right? Like it's almost strange. And I try to not always do that. And I try to like have conversations with humans and stuff like that. But right now, if you walk into a Starbucks and everybody's waiting in line, that person stands out if they are not scrolling an algorithm. So like, that's just what society is now, is a bunch of algorithms and feeds that people scroll. Right or wrong, that's what it is. And if you want people's attention, like that's the universe that we're living in. So social media platforms are trending up big time. Uh, related to that, niche social media platforms, I think are going to become a bigger thing. I think we may see like a degree of unbundling of social media platforms or more social media platforms around specific like interest groups. So like Parler in my mind was an example of that. But like when you look at all of the things that are happening with Twitter, for example, and how each of these platforms are kind of becoming politicized, but also as a social media platform gets more mature, it kind of just gets worse. Like it gets more ad saturated um, you know, Google search being an example of that, Facebook being an example of that, like over time, they kind of just get worse. So I wouldn't be surprised if we began to see more um, unbundling of social media platforms. I do think like things like free Slack communities are kind of a small example of this. And those are often great ways to find a very specific type of person and add value to them. Uh, if you're trying to target a specific type of client and there's like places where, those folks learn uh, that are not social media where you have to beat out the whole rest of the algorithm. That's totally a place to go. But I do think social media will get a little more fragmented, I think. Um, and so there may really be value in going deep on a smaller platform because ultimately, like we, we, we assume that we have to be at the biggest, like biggest watering hole. You really don't. Like at the end of the day, like you can build a killer business around a hundred great customers. 
Um, and so like, it doesn't have to happen on TikTok. Like it doesn't have to happen on the sweatiest platforms where everybody's doing all that stuff. So look for more niche discovery platforms. I think that's going to be an interesting path going forward. This episode is sponsored in part by Client Hub. This week on Tales from the Hub. Yeah, that's a thing. Let's talk about a firm. This firm is called Super Smart Accounting Solutions. They realized profitability of their firm comes down to how efficiently they can get responses from clients. You know, that old chestnut. So they prioritized a practice management platform that would make their client experience so good that the clients would just be foaming at the mouth to get them answers as quickly as possible. Client Hub, hey, buddy, it was the obvious choice. Practice management with an amazing client portal at its core. The fine people at Super Smart Accounting Solutions, this isn't fictional. They love the idea of a system that is boundaryless. Clients are users just like the staff are users. And the client portal's like the core of the product. It's not just this afterthought sort of bolt-on thing, right? Client Hub, let me tell you, it blew their minds. They loved it, they adopt it. Super easy, they had that sucker going in a week, a week. When's the last time you changed practice management systems in a week? Mm-hmm. That's Tales from the Hub. We'll be back with more tales next week. Check out Client Hub at the link in the show notes. Video description, one of those. This episode is sponsored in part by LiveFlow. Let me tell you about LiveFlow, okay? LiveFlow is a powerful product that puts your advanced reporting on autopilot. You know what that means? Autopilot means you just you set it up and it just goes. The software is designed to simplify the process of creating reports by turning your spreadsheet into a scalable and real-time FP&A platform, buddy. This means that you can spend less time manually updating spreadsheets, that's a win, and more time analyzing the data and advising your clients. One of the key benefits of LiveFlow is its ability to automate the process of streamlining reports from QuickBooks. This means you can easily import all your client financial data into Google Sheets where it can be transformed into a fully customizable thing that can be tailored to meet any of your needs, you little snowflakes. Even do like cool consolidations, custom dashboards, all that stuff. Anything that's in that QuickBooks file, you sync it back and forth, bada boom, bada bang. LiveFlow's gonna do it for you, bud. Learn more, check out the link in the video description, the, the show notes, you know, check out the link. Another thing that's trending up, uh, humans, specifically uh, humans on video and human audio, because the ease with which you can generate uh, AI text now is just shocking. So like we are, you know, the, the amount of content going on in the web has been increasing exponentially from the day it began. And now it is kicking off at a degree that is going to be outrageous because you can AI generate all sorts of things. And SEO was already this really sweaty arms race of doing more than everybody else. And it had like this kind of self-reinforcing thing of all the people telling you to do SEO, like the more of those people that were out there like selling that to you, the more you needed it and the more of it that you had to do because everyone else is doing it at the same time, right? And AI just kicked off that machine at an outrageous level. Not today, honestly. Last, I don't know, June or July, I gave a talk at, at now Carter Gray's conference, Taking Your Firm Virtual, where the whole premise of the, of the talk was just about um, understanding and, and managing the narrative that we're going to be replaced. And the whole framing of that video was I was using Jarvis AI 
to write blog posts and titles and stuff like that. And the discussion was, does this mean we don't need copywriters anymore? Uh, and the answer is like, the easy answer is like, oh yeah, we do still need them. But like, it's nuanced. It's like you've, you're transitioning from a set of tasks you did before to now a different set of tasks. It means normal people now have a pretty good copywriting assistant on hand. It's never going to be as good as a dedicated professional, but it's better than Google. So we've had tools like Jarvis clear back to the beginning of last year that have been pumping out AI-generated books, blog posts, all these things. And so that's kind of already been a thing for 18 months, but now like the generation of text-based content is just on a whole other level where it just got way more expensive and way harder to win on SEO. So the counter to that is the more AI-generated stuff there's going to be and the more videos you see that you can generate with AI and just whiteboard animations and stuff like that, flip side of that is, is the more of a hunger there's going to be for like personal connection. And I said video and audio because audio, man, it's getting really good and really hard to tell um, if it's real or not. And to me, it's not that it isn't good enough and we'll reach a point where it's good enough that it doesn't matter. Where audio is important is I think when audio ties back to the identity of someone that they know and trust. So your identity showing up on video, like be, like being you, being human, the premium on that will continue to go up as more and more of the things around us that we see uh, are being created by AI. And that just starts like, I've been preaching the value of video for years, but just like start small, set the bar really low for yourself, being able to communicate over video like it is such a big unlock. Other things going up, uh, giving away value on social media and on your website. So how do you hook people in an age of um, an outrageous amount of blog write-ups and all of these things? just solving their problems. Like give them a reason to come to you rather than like all of the articles that just talk about what they do or the language model that will just like give them an answer and tell them about um, that thing they're asking about. Like find a meaningful problem that your ideal client has and build a resource that helps them solve that problem. Like that is going to get more valuable as just the amount of information increases. Because what you have the capability of doing is actually like building something meaningful. When you have that deep expertise for a specific type of person, you can actually solve a problem rather than a bunch of people talking about a problem. So show off that deeper level of expertise, that deeper understanding and build like, you know, a 20 minute course or like a PDF guide to like choosing your finance tech stack for this type of business or something like that. Like, prove that you have a deeper level of knowledge than they can just like go out and get by talking to chat GPT. Another thing that's trending up, uh, plugins for language models. So this week, um, plugins for chat GPT is going out in open availability. I think just for paid chat GPT plus members, it's coming out in beta with 70 plugins, whole bunch of different options, among them Zapier, which will be really wild to play with. Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about that more in the coming days. But how to extend the places that those people like already live? Is there a way to extend those services with your expertise? Imagine being a firm that 
as part of being a client, gave you access to this plugin to your favorite language model where it like made that model smarter and like that's something that you can charge really handily for because it it pumps that like proprietary context, the things that you know about what they do into the place that they already live. Like that's really cool. Now right now the bar for building those plugins is as high as it will ever be. But the really cool thing about no code and about the simplification of software over the last few years is faster than ever that technical bar has been coming down really, really fast. And so like AI chatbots are a really good example. AI chatbots six months ago, that was a really hard thing to build. Now you go out and build that thing in less than five minutes on top of your own proprietary context without any sort of programming knowledge or anything like that. So specifically plugins for language models or the ability to extend a language model that's going to get more and more accessible and could be an interesting like thing that will differentiate you from other firms. Now, underlying the value of this plugin that you could ultimately create is what is your context? What is your proprietary context that you have that's not the same as what ChatGPT can pull? And it's like yet another reason for you to be thinking about that and how that proprietary context is like, the currency of our professional expertise longer term. We've done a bunch of episodes on that in the past, if that sounds like Greek to you. Things that are trending, another thing that's trending up, I've always said this, like specificity, like you, it has never been more important to find greater specificity in what you do and the people that you're going to help. Access to general information and getting general answers has never been easier, right? Like chat GPT, man, like that makes it easier to get to answers that are available publicly than ever before, which if you were living in a space where you're just supporting people at a general level, like you're living on borrowed time. Like it's just a matter of time before those simple kind of general cases get gobbled up by the kind of wide use tools and stuff like TurboTax getting more powerful and stuff like that. So always be looking for greater specificity in the people that you help and the problems that you try to solve. That's kind of always been the case, but I actually think that's getting more important as the general tools are getting better at a really faster rate. Other thing that's trending up, people, believe it or not, peer groups. So discovery through the really good clients that you have and who are their friends, Uh, just more human networking. Um, I find as people rely more and more on uh, language models and like products that automate stuff that maybe they used to have to do manually. Like it is cutting down the number of relationships they have to have and the people that they have to have do things for them. You know, productized legal services getting better. And we see a lot of that stuff in our space. But when you get to a certain level of complexity or or a type of person that has a very specific set of issues, I don't know about you. What I always do is like, I go to my peers who I know have that issue and I'm like, Hey, how are you solving this problem? Have you found somebody that's killer for this? Um, I don't see tech and AI and all of that. I don't see that impacting that or reducing the value of those peer connections. Honestly, I see that stuff actually enhancing those peer connections because we're seeing more and more internet communities where very specific types of people are getting together with kind of this positive sum mindset that we all have more to gain by sharing than to lose. So I think the greater connectedness of people in these communities will ultimately make building those personal relationships a faster growth path, 
when those people are talking more than they ever did before. I think there's just a general like, it's definitely the case in accounting where there is like zero competition. But I think outside the accounting space, there is a more collaborative approach to business than there ever has been before. And when that's the case, they're going to be sharing their playbooks more. And if you are a big part of what has given them success, I think it's more likely those people are going to be sharing you with other people going forward. And then the last thing I have that's trending up similar to that is like hubs of specific types of people. And so that could be a consultant who works with a very specific type of person. The value of that consultant, I think, is going up. If we don't have SEO and stuff like that as a fallback for discovering new clients, more and more people are going to be looking for what are the hubs of this type of people and how can I add value to the people at the center of those hubs? So like I'm an example of that. I talk about firm running all day long. And so the people that want to get in front of firm runners, like they come to me and they're like, hey, how can we talk with these people? Uh, So consultants, you know, influencers, which is kind of a a loaded phrase, but, you know, whoever those thought leaders are that are giving talks at conferences and stuff like that, uh, seek out those people who are at the center of the type of person that you're trying to work with. Those are really valuable people. And I think they're just going to become more valuable as more of the content and all that that we're surrounded with is AI generated and feels less personal, the flip side of that, while that is useful and it will it will make it easier to get general information, on the flip side of that, I think it will put even more value on like the human experts that are talking about the things that the general applications won't solve for you. Stuff that's trending down, obviously we talked about SEO, doing blog posts specifically for SEO. Now, there's a lot of good reasons to do blog posts that are not SEO related, like being able to, you know, if a client, <laughs> if clients ask you a question 10 times, please stop and write a blog post about it and then send people to that blog post going forward. We've talked about building your own personal context. That can come from blog posts. Ultimately, the data that like a client-facing chat bot or a language model plugin or something like that, a service you develop for your clients, the only way you can do that is if you are well-documented, if you have that underlying source of data that's proprietary to you that somebody can only get from you and not get from chat GPT, like your thoughts on solving these very specific problems. You can only build like solutions on top of that once you've documented it. So blog posts for SEO, that's trending down, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't stop creating blog posts and content around the problems that you solve. Last, what's trending down? Uh, websites, in many ways. Like websites historically have almost been like, at a very basic level, like a business card. But I think people will just be browsing to those things less and less. But when they do get there, it's probably with a different level of intent. So when people aren't just like Googling for like, I'm going to look at the 10 accounting firms in my area. I think that sort of Googling is like trending down. Then if somebody does make it to your website, maybe because of some cool content you put out there or because of a personal referral, that sort of thing. I do think there is a higher degree of intent once they get to your site under this new kind of like web paradigm that is not just, I'm going to poke around to a bunch of different sites to try to try to get my answer. People aren't going to do that anymore. People will use AI to answer a question for them and only ultimately get to your site, I think, 
with a higher level of intent. So the generic page, the generic website that's like, here's Thompson's and Sons, and we've been doing this for 80 years, and we do tax services. Like, that site has always kind of sucked. Um, but optimizing a site for that person with a higher level of buying intent, that might look different than it has in the past. And then the last thing I have trending down, Google reviews. I think reviews in general, I think are probably trending down. Doesn't mean they aren't valuable and you still shouldn't go after them. But I do think fewer people are going to be making buying decisions based on the Google results that they see and the reviews alongside that. And if that's the case, because everyone is cranking on SEO with AI, because those organic results are now literally at the bottom of the Google search rather than at the top where they used to be. If less people are using those services to find people, then ultimately the reviews aren't quite as helpful as they were before. I don't know that that changes how you should approach reviews. I think it's still worth trying to get them, but I think the value of them went down a little bit. This episode is brought to you in part by Meester and Company, who is hiring a CAS manager. You can put job listings on this podcast. Yep. Meester and Company is a firm in Northern California. They're hiring a remote CAS manager. Teeny bit of travel required, but you can generally be anywhere. Let me tell you why Meester and Company is better than the firm that you work for right now, buddy. Okay, listen up. A few reasons. Our team is top priority, not revenue. We concentrate on our strengths and aren't afraid to turn down the wrong clients or projects. Our firm's success starts with our team members. You sold yet? We believe in work-life balance. It probably won't have you running a daily show. No billable hours or timesheets. We focus on results. They specialize in tax, accounting, and advisory engagements. Steer clear of audit and attest work. Because who the heck wants to do that? It is a modern, forward-looking firm that is building out their cast practice. And you just might be the perfect person to help them do that. Let's Let's just zoom out. Of all the firms you could go work for, the firm that's advertising on this silly little podcast, how many people listen to this? Oh, not very many. So if you're looking for something new in the cast space, check out this job listing, put it in the show notes. You never know. It could be be the job of your dreams. Hmm? Three more things. The YouTube viewers are in for a treat. I trimmed my beard and there were a subset of people out there that were absolutely enraged by my beard before. And it's, it's always the loud minority, right? And I just want to be clear. I didn't trim my beard for you. All right, bud. I didn't. I think it was, I think it was Rachel Fish that said on Twitter at one point, uh, It was like a reply to a tweet and she was like, this has to be some kind of bet or something, right? Like this, like this, uh, like for this to actually be a thing, there's got to be some bigger, bigger picture thing happening that we're just not aware of, right? And you know what? No, there wasn't. It was just me not shaving. I'm in my first year of not running a firm and not having to, you know, fit into the traditional professional mold that I felt like I needed to fit into. And so this year, if we got some weird beards, If we come out of the year with a neck tattoo, you know, that's possible for me for the first time. And I'm just, I'm going to explore that. Uh, The reason I shaved it is in Oregon, it got sunny for the first time and I'm trying to be outside as much as I can. And it's one of those, like, it's a now or never sort of thing because then I'm going to have a beard tan and I got a whole bunch of conferences and talks I'm doing next month. And I don't want this to be the year that I did those talks with a beard tan. So I had to pull the trigger and uh, the end of an era. What can I say? We'll look back on that period fondly. Second thing, also the end of an era, 
ads on this show, right? You've already seen them. What a bummer. We had a fun little run there where there weren't ads on this show. What a shill. I know. I'm sorry. Uh, so for now, I think we're going to do like two little ad blocks in the show. Because you know what? Cost costs a good amount of money to make this show. Not that I think that really matters ultimately. But it's also like a real good amount of time. And uh, honestly, like I'm I'm actually super flattered that I don't I don't do like any outbound to advertisers to try to find advertisers for. So when people advertise on my stuff, like they're reaching out to me saying like, hey, can I get in front of your audience? And that is super flattering. Um, if you're a believer in the show and the fun little things we've built here, I would say being out of firm running and working more with tech companies, I feel like I see more of the human beings behind product companies and product companies to me have gotten a little less like, Ooh, like corporate spooky and more just like, Oh no, it's actually like Steve and Tina. And like, they're just, they're trying to do the right things. And the companies that are supporting shows like this and my other YouTube channel and stuff like that, bless their hearts support them. They're investing in this cool stuff, this silly thing that we get to make, right? Which is super flattering to me. I set out in the beginning uh, to be the only guy, only person in this space that like didn't have very obvious formal tie-ups. So you know all the other people that have partnerships and are you know very clearly work with Intuit or another set of brands or something like that. And I never wanted to do that. And so I've never done any formal tie-ups because I do not want to do anything that will like impact my independence. And I've had, I've been in the super fortunate position to be able to do that because I have a paid accountant community that can pay the bills and I'm not reliant upon those partnerships to be able to pay the bills. And so the only sort of integrations that we ever do, very obvious paid ads where there's music, like ad music playing, the ads are pretty zany, but like that is those are the only people that are ever in my pocket within the context of those very specific ads. I think it's what makes this stuff valuable. It's why we have a large degree of like trust in the things we talk about is I can shine a light on the people that are doing stuff really well. I can crap on people. I don't generally do that. That's not generally constructive. Uh, I try to just like amplify the things that I'm seeing that I love the most. Now, inevitably, let's say somebody buys an ad on your show and there's something else on the show that's like super in conflict with that. Inevitably that happens sometimes. And the way I communicate that to sponsors is, hey, like if there's something that's actually gonna come off really weird, I'll just shift the ad to a situation where that's not gonna happen. But that being said, like I don't, and, and sponsors and, and how we talk about people in this space and life in general, I think there is enough dunking on other accountants and all of that that happens everywhere else. I'd rather just be the guy that is like amplifying, hey, who's doing the right thing? And let's show that off and learn from it. Because it's a lot easier to dunk on the wrong thing than it is to instead highlight, hey, here's the right way to do it. And ultimately, the right way to do it is all that matters. Like there's so many dumb old timey accounting firms and people that do not approach this stuff the right way. What a waste of time to think and talk about them, right? So like I find in focusing on the positive stuff and highlighting the great things product companies are doing and accountants are doing and all of that, I find that I don't really end up with like many conflicts or things that are going to piss off a sponsor or something like that. But that's kind of my methodology for like sponsorships and how I don't do any sort of formal tie-ups, that sort of thing. One more thing, really exciting AI announcement. A company called Anthropic who builds their own AI models, similar to like an open AI. 
They just announced that they've increased their CLAUDE model, C-L-A-U-D-E. That context context limit on the CLAUDE model used to be 9,000 tokens. So we've talked about context limits a bit. Right now in ChatGPT, uh, those models have a context limit of um, 4,000 tokens within ChatGPT. The actual limit of those models is is higher. Actually, goes up to thirty two thousand tokens for GPT four, but ChatGPT limits you to four thousand tokens. What that means is, after about three thousand words in talking with ChatGPT, it forgets what's at the beginning of that conversation, and without that persistent long term memory, it limits the things that you can do. Right. So, like, let's say we want to chat with a piece of legislation, and you're gonna chuck that big old thing in there. Right now, with ChatGPT, that's limited to about 3,000 words, which is a lot. I think that's like, what is that? At 500 words a page, that's about six pages. So, like, it's a decent amount, but pretty limited. Well, Anthropic just increased the context limit for Claude, their model, from 9,000 tokens to 100,000 tokens. 100,000 tokens, about 75,000 words. That is hundreds of pages of stuff. It is a lot. I've got the news release up uh, on the video here. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It says the average person can read 100,000 tokens of text in around five hours. So five hours worth of reading, you can now chuck into that model and have a conversation with it. And there have, now there have been, we've talked about this, other ways around these context limits, like with embeddings and stuff like that. But it gets a little fiddly because ultimately like you're, you're kind of like working with subsets of that information and not the whole thing. With Claude now, like this is shocking. Nobody expected this high of a token limit in any model in the near future. The 32,000 token limit in GPT-4, people were like, are you hecking me? This is a big step. And so an example they gave, you could check the full Great Gatsby into it. Great Gatsby, 72,000 tokens. It ingests all that stuff in seconds. It asked it a very specific question about it and it could respond with the correct answer in 22 seconds. So the latency in chatting with it will probably be a little more because there's more information for it to go through. But wowee, we're talking about something that would take you five hours to read. But yeah, I'm sure AI isn't gonna be helpful for what we do. Pretty cool. Uh, now, Claude is an AI model that is built by Anthropic. And the easiest way to talk with Claude right now, they don't have like a chat GPT type of thing for talking with their model. The easiest way to talk with Claude right now uh, is a service called Poe, Poe.com. Anybody can hop in and try it out. I don't know if they have the increased context limit version of Claude on Poe yet. I suspect they would soon. But Poe is basically like a chat interface where you can choose to talk with a bunch of models from chat GPT to GPT-4 to Claude and all these other models that there are APIs for, this is just like the chat interface. So that's a really exciting development. Just like we've seen chat bots built on top of GPT and now enables people to build products on top of this model that supports 100K token context, which is wild. That is so much. Uh, it makes things like uh, personal journaling sort of thing, like that remembers everything from the last couple few weeks possible, for example. So like... If you've got this sort of rolling journal, like now literally all you would need is this one conversation thread with the model and it's going to remember everything going back 
probably weeks, right? Because like 100,000 tokens worth of stuff that you're putting into it, like that is a massive amount. And if you were recording, say, a five-minute voice memo at the end of every day and putting that transcript in there, that's going to remember a lot of days worth of context. So to put that in perspective, uh, people speak on average 100 to 130 words per minute. So if you did a five-minute voice memo at the end of every day to put that into an AI agent to be helpful for you, let's say that's 600 words a day with that new 100,000 token context limit, which works out to about 75,000 words, that one conversation with that one AI model will now retain 125 days of your voice memos. And you can do that. Like that's, that is live. I don't know if Post supports that increased context limit yet, but the model is out there. If you're a real nerd and you want to work with the API, you could do that today. But how cool is that? An assistant that will remember the last 125 days of stuff that you told it. Buddy, I don't remember anything beyond like breakfast. So that seems like plenty to me. That is an exciting development. And just a reminder of how quickly all of this stuff is changing. Good golly. Boy, this was a sweaty Monday. This went way too long. Uh, Thanks for coming and hanging. Let's have a great week. Uh, And I'll see you tomorrow. Bye.